At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Are you thinking about starting a podcast but don't know where to start? Let me take a second to tell you about Anchor by Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast across a plethora of listening platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the big ones. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, completely free. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, do yourself a favor and check out anchor.fm or download the app to get started. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality. With Shane Jones. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the now seventh edition of Inquiries of Our Reality. I'm your host, Shane. Today, I have with me Chance Garten from the Interverse Podcast. How are you doing today, man? Hey, I'm doing really well. Excited to be here and talk about whatever we're going to get into. And nice to meet you, Shane. Yeah, nice to meet you too, man. I've been listening to your stuff for a while, and it's really exciting to have you on today, especially this early in my podcasting episodes. Yeah, so this you said this is the seventh episode? Yes, sir. Not including, of course, like, you know, me popping onto other people's podcasts. That's cool. My name actually numerologically equals seven in uh, Gematria. I remember my seventh episode quite well, actually. You know, I couldn't go back and say what happened on on most of those early shows by number, but that one in particular stands out in my my recall. So kind of cool to be on episode seven. Lucky number seven. Happened for a reason, man. Gotta be. The universe has its ways, man. Oh, absolutely. Universe loves to play. So uh, I guess to get into everything, why don't you uh, tell everybody about yourself for anybody that doesn't happen to know? Yeah, so I'm a full-time podcaster. Uh, I have plenty of side passions. I'm, I would style myself as an artist of all trades, dabble in many things, maybe more of a generalist than a specialist, but I think that that's the way to go. Generalists are quite good at generating and connecting dots between different fields. So I like to um, do hardcore, hardcore marker art doodles. I'm a sound healer as well. So I use tuning forks to balance people's arc field. You could call it sound balancing, aura technician, what have you. I'm also into tarot cards and I Ching and provide oracle services for people. 
that want to come to me for some spiritual counseling or guidance where they can reflect with the universe about what it is they think about things in their life get a little closer to their own authentic feelings that sometimes we hide from ourselves, especially about big stuff so i do all those things i'm also into um i already said i host interverse right but I have a second show called Vibrant that is a live show on Wednesday nights, still on my same channel, but it's kind of a different feel because it's a video format and very community oriented. So I'd love to see some people come check that out at 8 p.m. on Wednesday nights, Central Time, 8 p.m. Central. We have a great time um, just seeing what comes up <laughs> and uh, taking questions from the audience. And yeah, so Interverse and Vibrant are the two main forms of content that I put out regularly. I have some other things I do less frequently than weekly, but yeah, that's the main stuff. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what you do with the tuning forks? I was hearing about that on your uh, last podcast, like what exactly happens, what, what it does exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, it's a process that it's one of those things where you can know that it does work, but understanding why and how it works it's going to be a long process for not just me, but like humanity to really understand and unlock deeper levels of what the connections are between sound and health and vibration and water frequency and intention, all these things. But what a simple way to put it is that we have an aura, we have a biofield. You could even consider it to be like a electromagnetic plasma of sorts that is generated by all of our body, but in particular, very centered in the heart. And that, uh, you know, if you've heard of the Heart Math Institute, they've done a lot of research on the field that your heart projects around your body, right? So this field, or what you would call maybe the aura, is, I like the biofield as a terminology. I, I learned a lot of this from Eileen Day McCusick, who's a really amazing author and researcher, practitioner, discoverer of what she calls the biofield anatomy. And so this anatomy of our biofield, we can discuss that more or, or not, depending on where you want to go with this, but it is consistent for all human beings that different parts of the energy field emanating from our physical body have a consistent type of memory and information encoded in the same regions of this space, like the six foot bubble space off of our off of our physical skin. So yeah, <laughs> like when you learn that map and you get the chart and you start internalizing that information, it's really helpful. First of all, you know, as a healing modality, it's wild that it works remotely, but it's really helpful as an individual, even if this isn't something you want to do as a practitioner to start to realize that everything we ever have going on in our body, whether it's an illness, any form of dis-ease, an injury, they all have correlations to something uh, on the emotional plane, on the spiritual plane. So everything that goes wonky with our body has a, it's a psychosomatic thing. There's not just, you know, soma meaning the body, psyche, psyche meaning soul or spirit. It's not just one side or the other. They're two sides of the same coin. They're always connected and you can approach the rectification of a problem on one side by looking at it from the other side. And sometimes it's way easier to do it that way. You know, sometimes we don't know why we're stuck, uh, 
in a rut emotionally or depressed, but then getting the right kind of exercise or changing our diet solves that. Well, inversely, sometimes we maybe can't figure out why we have this nagging pain or this, this weird chronic condition in terms of a, a health problem and approaching it from the energetic energy medicine side can help us alleviate it that way. So I think that the reason why we have a mind, body, spirit, trinity, like we do is really because if we get stuck in any of those areas, we're able to progress by looking at it from one of the other parts of our, our trinary existence. Um, with, with that knowledge that you have, um, I actually, weirdly enough, got into this topic today. Uh, what's like your belief on an, like music, so to speak with like frequencies. Cause I've been hearing a lot about like the 808s being like a frequency that's supposed to like not necessarily be good for you. Um, like what's your belief on that kind of stuff? I can't speak on 808, but I can say that <laughs> I can say that a lot of, and it's probably not intentional all the time, but a lot of popular music and much of it maybe is intentional is not coded to a frequency that is helpful or healthy for our body. But rather than worry about that, I would rather just say that there are definitely frequencies that are helpful and conducive to our body and our health. Like, and there are really simple ways to utilize those frequencies. And an example would be like today, I took a shower after I went running and I wanted to work on solar plexus constriction and opening up breathing and everything that has to do with that particular region. So I grabbed a tone that I know associates with that uh, five to eight cycles per second and played music that it was at that frequency uh, average while I was in the shower. So you're cymatically programming the water of not just your body, but also that, you know, you're taking the shower, it's hitting that water too. And yeah, I mean, it's maybe it feels like a subtle effect, but over time, all that type of work can really accumulate and be a very healthy and helpful. So if that makes sense, like we're talking about, <laughs> I actually learned today something really interesting that I maybe relearned it because I think I'd heard this before, but that our cellular biology responds to vibration and sound so dramatically that you know how our cells have different receptors, the cell membrane can change shape so that when it encounters a particular nutrient or it's looking for a particular protein, the membrane changes shape so that its receptors are the shape, the right shape for that thing. Well, it turns out that there's very conclusive research evidence that sound and vibration can influence the shape of the receptors of our cellular body. So there's two types of medicine. Therefore you could, influence the cellular behavior with something like penicillin or you could influence it with sound and vibration and get the same result if you knew the right code in terms of frequency and so i think this new science of light and sound is really us going back back to the future in a sense or uh, returning to an information that ancestors at one point knew very well and we've let go of it is there a particular uh ancestry that this this practice came from the whole world. I mean, I've also been really interested, especially this week, but you know, it's interesting with, uh, with research, right? That you, you look into a topic and you're like, oh, okay, I know about that. So I'm going to move on. But then eventually you circle back around to it. And in this sort of linear progression, 
because of all the other stuff that you've learned since then. Now this other subject that you thought you knew enough about to be competent and comprehend. Now you look at it again and you're like, oh, now it really clicks. <laughs> so I've been, and there, there'll be continual linear progression and chronological improvement of my knowledge of all these things, but I've been really into the, uh, just this week in particular, the Antiquatech idea. Are you familiar with that concept? Actually, no, myself, but uh, I'd love to hear. And for all the listeners, I'm sure they'd like to have that concept explained also. Yeah, it just, it just depends on how far back we want to go in the cosmological uh, revision of mainstream historical fake narratives. But Antiquitech is a terminology used by one, many different research communities all revolving around things like the mud flood, um, advanced ancient civilizations, what they call Tartaria. Are you familiar with any of these concepts? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So the it looks as if the you know, I've been trying to get it. Like I knew that there was something to do with resonance technology going on with cathedrals, for example, and star force, but I just, star forts, if you guys out there <laughs> don't know about that, uh, check it out, look into star forts that exist all around the realm from Africa to Australia, North America to, you know, Europe, everywhere, everywhere that there've been people, there are these star forts and this grid of, of incredible advanced architecture that when you really look at it with, and you're paying attention to what you're seeing and you consider how would I build that if all I had at best was a horse and buggy cart, you'd realize you wouldn't build it. <laughs> That's not yeah. what you would do. You wouldn't be able to most likely at the very least, you wouldn't be able to build it at the amount and scale that it has been built. So I've been trying to figure out like, okay, so how does this, what is the point of this? It seems like the way that things were gridded, that there was a purpose behind it for etheric free energy technology. But the missing component for me that I wasn't quite grasping was that there was a, there was a lot more water involved and that water was like the storage and transfer mechanism for this cymatic energy that was generated by these architectural marvels that were able to draw etheric energy, shape that energy through things like biogeometry and biogeometry, meaning like the right structural pattern, understanding cymatic patterns and say, for example, like that Emoto research that shows how when you freeze water with a particular intention, you get these beautiful symmetrical snowflakes and you get consistency. Like every time you project love or every time you project gratitude, you get different patterns, but it's similar. So understanding those cymatic patterns, applying them to the architecture, uh, using sound as well with the bells and the organs and the very fact that like water itself makes sound and falling water in the right structure in the right pattern that's a cymatic generator as well so it's uh still not something i would say like i could go build <laughs> a device that draws from the ether and generates energy into water and then i could use it but i do i am starting to have a grasp of it and in particular how that would be applied to like food production and uh just everybody's health being way better if the water was structured and living and energized in these with these etheric and sound-based technologies. So all of that can be applied on a micro scale with sound healing 
modalities and you can pretty much like inundate yourself with, and maybe you ought to look into doing so, inundate yourself with coherent sound patterns because everything from the sound our refrigerator makes in the background to the hum of an engine of our car, all these mechanical sounds that are based in our dirty energy technology, dirty electricity technology, those are stressors. And we're so constantly flooded with these sounds. And the reason they're stressors is because they're dissonant, because they don't have a coherent waveform structure. Uh, we find ourselves not even knowing why we're tense all the time and getting to the point where we're ignoring the tension that we have and that we hold all the time. So the more that we can bathe ourselves in, in any way, simple or more maybe masterful with the knowledge of like your biofield anatomy, you don't need that necessarily to do helpful things for yourself. It's really interesting. I think everyone maybe in the future will learn about stuff like that, or most people will, because it's such a simple and elegant way to approach health. But on a simple level, sound healing, it should be like a, a generally just a part of your energetic hygiene. And if energetic hygiene is a new phrase for you too, then welcome to the path of mysticism. And this is the most important part of it in general is grounding and energetic hygiene just as important, probably more important than taking a physical shower <laughs> and worrying about how you smell, although that's kind of part of it in a, in a subtle way, is paying attention to your field, to your charge, because everything is electric and we are electric beings and maintaining the proper balance in our charge and in our energy field with energy hygiene, which we could talk about methods for, uh, is so vital and so important in particular if you're a searcher, a seeker of truth, if you're trying to push towards and get closer to the origin and the source of all life, well, that's a highly, <laughs> infinitely energetic point, monadic aspect of self and of universe. And the more you energy that you add to your system, the closer you get to source, the more origin that you're drawing towards, the more important balance is because you, you know, you add energetic, add energetics to something that's out of balance and it's going to shake apart <laughs> if it doesn't, if it's not constructed well, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, people that wanted to introduce this into their everyday life, what would, what would be the start to this? Yeah. I mean, there'd be a lot of ways you could, I, I would just get a tuning fork. Actually. Uh, there's a couple of options with tuning forks. There's weighted tuning forks. And I will, I really like the one called the Sonic Slider. Uh, this is invented by Eileen Damacusic, the author I mentioned. Her books are also available at the same place, Biofield Tuning, biofieldtuningstore.com. I'm not affiliated with them, although I ought to be, <laughs> because I think I've sent a shitload of people there. But you can get the Sonic Slider tuning fork. Last time I checked, it was like 75 bucks. It's a weighted tuning fork. So you actually strike it and it's a really low frequency. It's the Schumann resonance times 12, 12th harmonic of the Schumann resonance. So, you know, very aligned with the earth frequency that it puts off. If anyone's not heard of the Schumann resonance, that's the base baseline frequency that the planet is constantly, I mean, it oscillates, it goes up and down, but that's an average 
that's been decided upon by people. And using this weighted tuning fork, you're actually pressing it to your body and directly transmitting the physical vibration, which is electricity, vibration, electricity, light, they're all, and sound, they're all the same phenomenon at different levels of intensity of, of uh, frequency of oscillation. So something like a weighted tuning fork, as I'm describing, you're actually electrifying in a low voltage, coherent, not dirty electricity way, you're electrifying your cellular biology. And I had had a bad rock climbing injury in my left shoulder. Before I even knew like really what the biofield anatomy was about, what that pertained to in particular. And I couldn't really get over it. I, I kept taking like a week, two weeks, a month off from climbing and working out, but I still couldn't lift my left hand above shoulder height without pain and resistance. And I definitely couldn't raise it all the way over my head. And I got this sonic slider tuning fork and started using it on that part of my shoulder. And I kid you not, within days, like the pain got better in the first time I used it. But within a few days, I'd already recovered the range of motion for that from that injury. So it's uh <laughs> it's hard to really like make a promise over what it can and can't do, but I know that it can do good things. And it's a cheap, it's a lot cheaper than going to a doctor. <laughs> it's a lot cheaper than most of the ways that treatment is applied. And once you have the fork, you, you have it forever. You know, I mean, extreme extended use of tuning forks might wear them out. If you're like a practitioner and doing this daily for people and just striking them over and over again. Yeah, you can wear those out. But for personal, regular use, nah, you won't wear it out. And in fact, that sonic slider for ladies out there, <laughs> I guess guys too, it is marketed as a cosmetic tool. And and I think that's just to like get more normies to look at it, but there is a particular effect of adding this energy, this coherent vibration to your body, to your face in particular, that can help your face sort of pick itself back up. <laughs> and what I mean by that is that when we, when our energy fields are out of whack, when we have a lot of like sort of Swiss cheese holes in our, our auric membrane from allowing energetic vampirism, parasitic entities, uh, either, you know, unconsciously, most likely to feed on us. And then we're, we're feeding them in return. And we have this dynamic of leaking our own life force energy. <laughs> you notice that, uh, like people as they age, if they're not really healthy and in tune with life and with their purpose and, and all that, and have good boundaries, you know, they'll start to look like their face is melting. <laughs> their ears will start to like saw, sag down. And I hope anyone out there listening and that's if you're looking at your, sometimes I say stuff like this and I'm kind of like, I kind of laugh about it, but I'm not trying to freak someone out who is now looking at their ears or their nose and like, oh no, I'm starting to look like a Sith Lord over here. <laughs> uh, just know that this is a reversible process, but that human beings are not supposed to get uglier as they age. Uh, but the face that we develop over the course of our life is sort of what we deserve on an energetic level. So <clears throat> and I'm not trying to say that to be harsh. 
I'm just saying that like it's reversible, but you you ought to look into, you know, this in, this type of energetic hygiene, this type of strengthening your boundaries of improving the auric membrane of cutting yourself free from metaphorically cutting yourself free from from the self parasitism of psychic vampirism and of psychic vampirism from external sources and modalities like uh, sound are really good for that because they can repair the issues in the aura that need repaired because all of us have taken some shots taken some damage now it's going to be our mindset it's going to be our behaviors that are most relevant to whether or not uh we you know we heal going forward it's never too late to heal or if you know we we melt <laughs> our face melts but what that is like you know if you're noticing yourself getting saggier so to speak it is because energetically on your field on the field level you're leaking leaking light leaking life force energy and the whole point of the whole the whole foundation and groundwork of health in my opinion and vitality and vibrancy is that we recognize ourselves as a vessel for life force energy and that we become the most pristine and uh you know intact vessel we can without holes in it because if we've got holes in our vessel of any kind it doesn't matter how much gas you pour in metaphorically or how much goodness you put in <laughs> it's coming out the bottom you're only going to be able to fill it up to a certain height where the holes are so uh, all of this metaphorically applies to our chakra system and and getting more knowledge about that I you know I this is really kind of like a disjointed presentation about it in terms of how I'm talking about it and I'm just dis discussing and bouncing around from things as they pop into my mind but I have done more more methodical presentations on this but really go check out the books by Eileen or other practitioners like Sol Luckman uh, but I really just recommend Eileen's first book Tuning the Human Biofield is what it's called. Uh, you can get it on Audible, on Amazon, Kindle, or from the Biofield Tuning Store. But you can also pick up from other places. You don't have to buy from that store uh, regular tuning forks or singing bowls, things like that. Whatever creates a coherent sound, or if you don't have the money for that, I'm not completely against the idea of getting a YouTube, going to a YouTube channel that purports to be putting off these type of positive um coherent sound patterns you know you can start anywhere but recognizing that we maybe need to combat the deluge of dissonance that we're surrounded by through the technology and through our our chosen separation from nature i mean again nature's free so going out and the, doing what the japanese call forest bathing going in the evening and hearing the cicadas and the crickets and or the birds chirping in the morning in your backyard or whatever all of that is coherent as can be so um you know it's about finding ways to rectify your charge imbalance grounding barefoot walks touching a tree meditation getting adequate rest a lot of the things that influence your electricity and get your charge right are obvious things 
But again, like I said, you can pour as much water into a cup as you want. And if there's a hole in it, the water kind of leaks out. So there's also the necessity to practice the energetic hygiene maneuvers, maybe look into energy healing from a professional of some kind to look for and help you address wherever these holes in your aura might be because a lot of us develop them and it's unknowing whether it came from uh, hard relationship problems like really vampiric people in our life that we let in and fed that light from ourself and let them puncture us or maybe it came from maybe we got if we got the uh, the cowpoke because we're afraid we're going to lose our job and now we are like regretting it and have learned how that's affected us that is another example of something that energy medicine could help you with because it helps your body do what it needs to do by improving its overall energy level body isn't going to make an attempt to heal something unless it knows it has the energy to complete the throughput of that process so there's those examples uh you know, in other ways that you might have suffered damage to your energy field that all of us often do is just the general wear and tear of living um, not in alignment with our purpose for some period of time in our life. And very few people are spiritually powerful enough to just begin life and go through the whole thing acting out in accordance and alignment with their purpose. So uh, the, and the last example would be drug use, any kind of addictive drug use or overuse of things like psychedelics or psychoactives like cannabis, that also puts holes in your energy field. Not saying never use, but um, it's just, it is what it is. <laughs> it does do that. What's, uh, <clears throat> if you were going to be a user of like psychedelics and like cannabis and stuff like that, what's, what, what would be like your window of how often it should be used as far as like not to hurt your frequency and aura? I don't know the answer to that, but I do say, I would say the answer would be that if you were using those modalities in a ceremonial way, in conjunction with things that are improving your auric health, your energy body health, your electric health, then you're going to know what is and isn't too much. But really, like, here's how I look at it. Okay. Especially like cannabis would be the example. Uh, it's kind of like that first, you know, that first time that is so, it's so awesome. Or maybe second time they say, sometimes people don't get high the first time they smoke cannabis, but that dragon that everybody's chasing, that really great experience that leads to habitual use. And the habitual use is never as good as that original first couple of times, unless you take a long break. Uh, that I would, I'm not saying this is literal, but I do this is the sense I get from working in people's energy fields in my own past use with cannabis is that when you use it, it is like popping the cork on a wine bottle. And uh, a lot of energy is now like going out your third eye, so to speak, uh, as you open up from the use of this substance. I mean, it's not just third eye, psychedelics open up all your chakras. So, uh, and they have themselves have a lot of energy in our high frequency, but that those holes need time to then like close back up and heal and seal. If you keep repeatedly doing it, you're just leaving yourself open, if that makes sense. And so you're no longer going to fill up and charge again 
But if you take time between use, then you will have a bigger experience each time because you've let yourself sort of fill back up before then a release. Think of it like the cycle of the moon, you know, it doesn't stay full all the time. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of my best answer. I would never really deign to give more specific, more specific advice than that, but uh, that, you know, anyone out there, you know, if you're overdoing it <laughs> and we all go through like experimental cycles and things, it's just like, you may look back on some point in your life where you were a heavy user of psychedelics and realize, oh yeah, that does sound kind of like what was happening. But when you open yourself up like that, that's also where you run into the potential for hitchhikers, energetically attachments, things like that. Uh, and it may not happen for a long time. And then it happens, <laughs> you know, different, don't, don't gauge your ability to do X or Y or Z based on what you see other people apparently doing successfully, because you don't know what's going on in their internal world, no matter how well they seemingly are keeping it together externally. You need to base it off of your own intuition and what, you know, give yourself time to integrate. That's what I would say about psychedelics. I, I would <laughs> had psychedelic experiences years ago that I feel like I'm still integrating right now, still learning more about what it meant and what happened. Um, I mean, as far as psychedelics, I mean, I've personally always seen them as a tool. So I, I definitely agree with you on that kind of stuff. Um, as far as like cannabis goes, uh, I would even say, you know, I would even say there, it's not that you can't ever use it with the intent of having fun, but just realize it's going to be a spiritual ride too and be open and intending for that. And then, like I said, energy hygiene while you're at it. I'm not saying that there's like no room for fun. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy either, but you know, we just got to be real about the power of this stuff too. I mean, you see how fast it happens too, that you can't take it two days in a row because it won't be nearly as strong. So especially with that, there's a huge tolerance that you develop just using it once. Um, as far as like cannabis goes, um, do you think that this plays a role in why people don't usually dream if they smoke regular cannabis? I mean, there's a, could be, I mean, as far as I understand, there's a melatonin mechanism at work with cannabis use that it kind of hard. That makes sense too, because melatonin is that thing that gives you the, gives your body the signal that it's time to sleep and thus dream. And then I think with cannabis use, you sort of go into a state of you know, sleepwalking. Um, if that, I guess that's a good way of metaphorically putting it. You are kind of dreaming while awake. You're blending the worlds a little bit, maybe. So uh, it would kind of make it harder to dream in the actual time to dream because you never fully get into that full dream state because you're kind of sitting in it on a regular basis. Yeah, you're using up the reserves of the the neurotransmitters that this is the physical explanation anyway, that you're using up the reserves of the neurotransmitters that lead you to dream. Now, energetically, uh, explanation might be more like that you're, okay, so you're opening up holes in your arc field through habitual use, right? In particular, solar plexus is the energy center of our chakras that relates to will. And it's also this golden yellow color. It's the, it's like the light inside of us is really situated there. Like the root is the fire. The, uh, the sacral is the, isn't, you know, 
also kind of in between fire and light, but it's more like uh, the arousal. So you have the fire and then like the arousal energy, creative force. Then you get up to this, this golden solar plexus, solar, it's light, you know, it's sunlight. And this is actually why, in my opinion, that if you eat honey, raw, organic spoonfuls of honey before you go to sleep, you'll have stronger dreams because it's also this golden color. It's a, it's a solar plexus medicine. Uh, it's actually I can where actually the phrase stand behind that one comes too, from. Because I usually don't remember my dreams, but uh, when I have honey, weirdly enough, I do remember my dreams. So I, I can, I stand behind that one too. <laughs> yeah, that's where the phrase sweet dreams comes from, is taking a spoonful of honey before sleep. So this part of our, our energy body is our inner light reservoir capacitor, if you will. Uh, and it relates to will. So <laughs> interesting how that fits into like whether or not you have the, the willpower to be disciplined or resist uh, addictive or abusive behaviors with substances, for example. So you have this holy, holy energy field, this problem with will possibly, uh, you know, there's different situations. Maybe you got a medicinal reason why you need to use it really regularly, but it, you know, like a, a cancer patient or something, but that's not going to be a permanent forever deal. Theoretically, you wouldn't want it to be. Um, and there are phases of life where it just, <laughs> they're like, I think that they're the phase of my life when I first started using cannabis. I needed, I really did medicinally need it like all the time. Um, I needed to be more open as a sort of pendulum swing balance to how closed I had been through indoctrination and, and college and all that. So, anyway, having a more intact, energy body, especially around the solar plexus, means you're holding more of your inner light, your selfhood light, your consciousness light. And so going into dream realm, into astral, you're, it's like bringing a lantern with you, but that lantern is also your pay, ability to pay attention. It's both. So it's not just casting a light on things. It's also your currency with which you are able to pay attention. So there's that. And if you don't have that going into dream realm in a strengthened way, or just at least a normal, healthy, balanced way, it makes perfect sense to me that you wouldn't have a lot of dream recall. You might still be having the dreams, but it's like sand slipping through open fingers versus having your hands cupped and can hold it. So again, everything, when we talk about our energetic body or even our physical body, how they work together, is like a vessel and the integrity of that vessel is going to dictate how well one aspect of your self works versus it doesn't work well. So, um, considering that I'm sure there's a lot of people that smoke cannabis that listen to these types of podcasts. Um, do you have any personal recommendations that people could do to kind of counterbalance with cannabis use to, you know, kind of, kind of help them out a little bit if they don't really have a choice, like if they're using it for medical reasons or things like that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, back to the energy hygiene thing, applying sound, um, you know, and if you want to get back into dreams more, more powerfully. Okay. Cause our, our energy body can actually change and adapt really fast. It's not like you get these holes in your field and they're like scars or something. It's way more connected to mindset and, um, you know, your electrical balance of your psyche which means that if you say like, you really want to use it every day, 
that's cool. I'm, I'm definitely hoping that I don't sound like I'm some guy that's like trashing, you know, uh, potheads. <laughs> well, no, I'm just asking. I'm not. I'm definitely the not. Uh, <laughs> you know, I use it myself from time to time and used to be a, a daily habitual, like morning, noon and night guy. Uh, it just, it's like George Carlin says, I think these things suggest their own disuse at a certain point. And when you get that message, listen to that. Uh, and if that's not the message you're getting right now from in, inside, then, you know, just keep doing what you're doing if that feels right. But if you were to want to get your dreams back, for example, at the very least, just try not going to bed having recently smoked. You know, if you're going to go to bed at 11, 10 p.m., maybe cut off the cannabis by six, something like that, so that you're not going to bed really in the, the thick haze of being stoned. You'll probably get some dreams back, for example. But um, I would also like, you know, throw in maybe some supplements in terms of pre-bed, like honey, maybe even occasionally taking a melatonin source, uh, other neurotransmitter nootropics like acetylcholine can be really good for improving the state of your dream world. Uh, and, you know, dream work is, is really helpful for getting messages from yourself. So, uh, but generally, no matter what your cannabis user or not, the whole goal that I guess I have so far with what we've talked about is to encourage energetic hygiene. So that would be like burning, maybe burning some sage and holding and, and moving that around your energy field, definitely hitting the palm chakras and under the arms and, you know, under the feet, going outside barefoot for 15, 20, 30 minutes a day, minimum, like minimum, a few minutes, because that's helping you ground electrically to the earth, discharge excess ions and earth actually is able to, your body using earth is able to rebalance the charge differential and potential of your electrical field big time. Uh, other things that help improve your electricity, singing loud, <laughs> singing and toning with your voice, really helpful. I mean, everything that tuning forks can do for us as a tool or sound bowls, we could do with our voice. And, um, you know, the external tool has its benefits because there's sort of like an objectification of you and the tool, but your voice can be that tool as well. Uh, eating correctly, this is obvious stuff, getting the right type of water that is structured living water preferentially, but at the very bare minimum, not, you know, city tap water, something that it can at least attest to not having the, the fluoride and, and chlorine and apparently, according to everybody now, is snake venom now. What, a, what the fuck? Just <laughs> I don't know if I believe all stuff. that. I mean, it sounds very much like the type of symbolic story we'd get from the Ophiolatry cult just because they like to uh, do all that mockery of us through their symbolism, but who knows? Anyway, um, a lot of ways to improve your voltage. Most of them just revolve around health, but yeah, energy hygiene, massively important. I like selenite crystal for that too. It's sort of like sage smoke, but in the form of a crystal, you can clear your field with that as well. Sunlight, <laughs> sunlight is a great purification. Uh, even standing around a bonfire can have that effect to a degree. Fire is a purifying element too. So there's a lot of ways, but 
what's important is that you're doing something regular with the intention of grounding and clearing and balancing your energy field in one modality or another. And that's really like, you should look at that like as part of your schedule, the way that bathing is. So considering your background, uh, how, how would you explain this reality that we live in? As far as like our, wh- how would you explain our existence? Wh- what's your belief on it? <laughs> oh man, big question. What is life? Uh, <laughs> I seem to ask everybody I, this. It seems to be the common question because I always want to ask for myself. So I'm always curious with everybody's different backgrounds, what their, what their belief I love is. asking people that very same thing too. So I definitely don't blame you. Uh, you know, the simplest answer I can give about the meaning of life. I think the meaning of life is life. like just like that but uh what we're doing here what it is those are fun questions to ask and i think that maybe even the point you know there's a you could i've heard it said that there's 144 perspectives on truth 104 truth has 144 sides kind of you know kind of like there's only say a few hundred people that you can know and understand your relationship to at a single time before you're overloaded and you have to start like deleting people out of your mind. Very true. <laughs> we all carry a different angle on it, but there, I do think that there, there is an objective reality uh, and that our senses feel like a bunch of different things are going on, but uh, really all is a fractal reflection of the same all that this pattern of, toroidal energy self-generating in a loop is the basis of what reality and life is and that we are vessels and and toroidal field generators in miniature that are literally the image of the cosmos and the universe and to some degree at least energetic structure wise uh so when i say the meaning of life is life i think quite quite literally that there is no beginning or end because existence, which is what we're a part of, uh, it has no, there's nothing that can nullify it. <laughs> it's like, if you were to take the Pleroma, I talked about this with one uh, from one-on-one on a recent podcast episode, but if you were to consider the Pleroma, which is the all that is, and it's everything in combination with its opposite, so while it's also it's it's the all, but it's also kind of the void because things negate and cancel out. But existence cannot be canceled out by non-existence because non-existence doesn't exist. So I don't believe in a in the beginning. You know, I appreciate some of the I appreciate some of the aspects of the those type of stories and cosmologies and scriptures for the allegory and metaphor that is available there, but I don't really think there's an in the beginning, as in there was some point where there was nothing and then nothing became something. <laughs> to me, that just doesn't compute. It's a lot simpler and more elegant to consider that uh, we're infinite and so we've always been and that we're maybe in a type of spiral loop returning to the, our own past, which is actually our future, and going on a ride of remembering and forgetting, expanding out, spiraling out, in breath, coming back in, in the forgetting. And that right now is an exciting time because 
And I think maybe like different beings can be on a different oscillatory pattern. Like some people are on the remembering wave and some people are on the forgetting wave in terms of their, where their soul's at or where they're spiritually at. Uh, but I think now's an exciting time because it looks to me like we're on the precipice of a massive push towards remembering who and what we are, our place in the cosmos, our connection to this source energy or this mother Taurus, this mother toroidal field. I mean, even Taurus as an astrological sign, the bull is associated with the mother or Venus or the goddess energy. So I do think that, that our origin is this self-generating, self-perpetuating cosmic loop of life, creating life, creating life ad infinitum. And it's, like I said, ad infinitum. So there's no end to that. And that's exciting. I mean, wouldn't it be better to exist than to not exist? So many of these weird ascension cults and and uh, covertly nihilistic New Age spiritual paths and, I mean, materialism is nihilist as fuck outside of the New Age. Sure. Uh, pop culture, Gnosticism, so many, like simulation theory, all these different things. They're all like pushing this idea of escaping from what they call the illusion or the samsara but i'm sorry <laughs> nowhere there's nowhere that you can go where you get away from yourself so there's no escaping from ego per se or like you can you can improve the health and quality and balance of your ego there's no getting away from who you are which is this infinite infinite toroidal energy field <laughs> and why would you really want to when it comes down to it? it makes more sense to try to understand it understand self and then maybe become a conscious observer conscious witness of that self because when you look at so many processes of our body you know i was really kicking around this idea of do we have free will is there no free will <laughs> is this a lucid dream i'm having called life and reality or is the image making faculty of consciousness and the, you know, whatever God is just giving me the experience of thinking I have free will, but really I'm still just continually along for the ride of life, witnessing a predetermined or something outside of my control. And I realized that it's both man, that how many functions in our body have an autonomic aspect and an aspect of it can be controlled, right? You can breathe on purpose or your body will keep doing it for you. So you have free will and you have the deterministic life goes on outcome. So I think the real sweet spot, the real power of life is to take, take the witness perspective on purpose, apply your free will towards paying as much attention as you can to yourself internally and outside and seeing that the inner outer, the, uh, the outward doth from the inward roll and the inward lies the inmost soul in an alchemical sense that the more attention that we can spend, the more we'll see that our thoughts, behaviors, and actions really do generate and manifest our reality. You know, like that toroidal shape, it's coming out of us, going away from us. Then we see it on the other side of the torus as our reflection, which is external world. And then it comes back to us, the energy that we put out. 
And that's just going to keep on happening, baby. <laughs> and so might as well learn to take responsibility for the process so that instead of receiving attack, constant attacks and kicks in the balls from our own shadow that we reject and refuse to look at, but is still going to be there and come at us in new and different ways, as long as we uh, try to push it away and, and separate ourselves from it, it will, it will be a separate entity and enemy at that point. And that's what demonic means. Daemon or demon is a divided mind or divided man. Instead, we could take the approach of that that reflection on the other side of the wall of the toro toroidal field is our art project. And it's a masterpiece that life is our ongoing art project. <laughs> and then and then it becomes a lot more fun because, you know, to be an artist, you have to be decisive. And then free will actually begins to be a thing. And you realize that getting closer to source, getting closer to your origin, knowing who you are, recognizing that self permeates all of existence and that all selves are the same I am energy of this original toroidal uh, generator. <laughs> you get to make it up as you go along rather than feel like you're playing by somebody else's rules that you don't like. That's the beauty of uh, authentic spiritual path and why creativity is essential to one's creative or spiritual path. I think that's really the only authentic spiritual path is one that involves you tapping into the creative force within yourself and expressing it. Because without that aspect, you're really not touching source or God at all. <laughs> if something's the source, if something's the origin or it's original, then it's imaginative. It's making up what it's doing. And People are afraid of that. They get this idea of being an imposter and imposter syndrome and all that. Like, uh, you know, a lot of what I do with energy healing, I'm making it up on the spot as I go. That doesn't mean it's fake. That actually makes it, that makes it authentic <laughs> in, in a weird paradoxical way. But where the fakeness feeling happens is when we're out of balance, we're out of alignment in some other aspect of our life, we're relying to ourselves about some part of our life, we're doing self-harm, therefore, through the being dishonest to ourselves. That's the area where then when we go to try to make it up as we go, it comes out wrong. And so why I say spirituality, the spiritual path, creativity is integral to our development and, and all that is because anyone that's gotten tried to get really good at something has realized that they got to get their own bullshit out of the way to progress past a certain point that there will be continual plateaus you reach until you're like, all right, I guess I need to exercise more or something so that my brain's not as foggy, or I guess I need to, you know, athletically, if you, if the thing you're trying to get good at is athletics, then it's obvious you need to take care of your body. But for me, you know, think about like, uh, like I used to, I used to vape long time ago and I'd be trying to draw and do my marker stuff and then I continually stop and put down the, the tools and then like hit the vape and I realized like man how many how much extra time and how much distraction is being layered onto this process and how is it influencing the process that I have this other thing that I need to continually do so like I said in every way shape and form imaginable 
your energetic hygiene and your physical health are an integral aspect to your ability to improve your whatever it is the pursuit of that your soul is called to do and whether it's creating your body bodybuilding athletics or creating something in the external world could be a podcast could be a painting whatever to improve your ability to bring forth something original you must also improve yourself and that's a never-ending set of stairs it's infinite stairs or infinite it's infinite shoots and ladders <laughs> go up or go down uh, forever either direction so you know we got to wake up to that and realize that the best way to be in touch with god or with the great mystery or the supreme being is to learn how to express our imagination decisively because that's exactly what supreme being is doing at every moment that gives us this shared consensus dream reality so i mean <clears throat> just some food for thought so if there's a path that everybody's intended to take but there's also the concept of free will do you believe that some people have a predetermined path which would be like the non-creative type people that it's already been set in front of them versus almost the path of a creative type person would be to be able to make their own choices, but in a weird way, it's already kind of a predetermined path for them within so that. So I try path. not to hold beliefs that I don't have some kind of evidence for, but this may be an exception to me, a way of reconciling what you're describing with how everything else seems to work in the sense that spirit seems to be a free will thing that free will does seem to exist. Um, you know, like I said, because we have this example of our bodies and how our bodies can work automatically or um, consciously. And maybe you could look at that as fate and destiny. Like your fate is the automatic, but your destiny is where you're choosing it, right? Mm -hmm. So if we can see that pattern in life and in ourselves, then it stands to reason that maybe before some of the things that happen to us that feel like that fate shit or feel predetermined, maybe some of that stuff we intended or agreed to before we came in. So if you look at your life like an art project, think about a painting as an example, a really big ass painting, huge mur mural. You don't know, you don't know exactly how it's going to look before you, before you start. You don't know exactly how it's going to turn out when you're in the middle of it. And from that point at the beginning, you definitely don't know what every step is going to be between beginning and end, but you maybe have an idea going in. I think that life could be that way that before, you know, we, we shoot down into a, a vagina and pop out of that portal into this dimension. Maybe there's a point where we're like, okay, okay, this time around, I think I'm going to go for this type of a project, right? And so maybe there's like a hard mode or easy mode involved like that. Uh, that <laughs> I'm going to be born to crackheads or uh, easy, easy life. I'm going to have really good parents, whatever. You know, I think that there's got to be some element of choice involved at that level because choice seems to be what source is all about. And if we are expressions of source, if we are carriers of source, then 
at some level, we are the source and thus we made the choice. And that doesn't, you know, that's like really squishy in terms of an explanation because you're like, wow, so you should, I should just go tell some, some girl that got raped that she chose that. <laughs> I don't think you should, <laughs> but there may be a point of her life where she realizes how all that bad led her to something good or was something she wouldn't change because she's appreciative of the life she has later. And we all have to make that, um, we all have to choose our beliefs in that sense. Like, is life happening to me or am I happening to life? Is, uh, doesn't the outer world dictate what my inner world is like, or does my inner world influence the outer world? And for me, I choose the, the latter belief. I've always kind of seen it as the best way to describe it is I feel like there's predetermined events that are intended to happen, but it's almost like, like looking at a math problem that you can do three, three different, three different ways to create the same number in the end, but that freedom of choice happens within the math problem, but it'll all result in the same end result. And that's the predetermined part. That's, that's been kind of my view on it personally. I like that. Yeah, that, that works for me. You can put multiple pieces together to build into it. So another weird thing that I've been, I've been thinking about lately too, is uh, what, what's your belief as far as like, uh, like Anunnaki playing a part as far as like in our development as people? Yeah. So I think that as source, as the monad, as the, the one pleuromic field subdivides itself through its uh, sort of own imaginarily imposed boundaries. Again, this is all just like wild high octane speculation. Again, this is not really beliefs, but it's like a could be maybe uh, that the reason why we have this mythology of pantheons of gods that influenced and created human beings to serve them might be because um, we exist on a spectrum of harmonic octaves and we've chosen at this current point in history to or, or we've incarnated into a particular version of society where our consciousness is really just like localized in only one layer of the octave spectrum and that higher octaves to use that problematic term higher and lower uh less divided octaves you could say closer to the the pleroma maybe you know like the original division would be the yin and the yang but they're perfect mere reflections of each other in a way they fit each other so that's almost not exactly even beings in a sense but further divisions maybe you get like seven gods and then maybe you get like 12 gods or an ennead of nine i think that what i'm trying to say here is that that those divisions of the original source before you eventually step down to the level of there being 8 billion divisions of source right at a certain octave of of reality you know think about like a, a wheel think about a circle you could divide a circle into two you could divide it into two billion if you had thin enough lines right so that's kind of how i see these ideas of the gods that if you were to say divide that circle into seven then all of the 
beings that are part of the eight billion division would fit under the like jurisdiction or within the pie wedge of one of those seven. Maybe you can look at astrology as kind of a system like that, but infinitely more complex than the description I'm giving because we're talking about the infinite here. Mm. Does this make sense? So at that level of the, the octave of life or reality, uh, there's beings that are way more maybe aware of who and what they are, way more powerful because they are containing more of the life force energy of the totality of nature. And like any other part of nature, they create, <laughs> you know, they create things. They, they give birth to children and creations of a sense. Then that's kind of like their mitosis action. So you would have to look at beings like that as gods relative to our level of the octave spectrum. But the, for me, reconciling aspect of this way of looking at it is that they're also us or we're them. So that's what the I same way ask. that, you know, we, you know, you're a the same way that you're a continuation and extension of your mom and dad. We're like that to these gods. So to me, they're not boogeymen. They're not slave masters. They're at the very minimum, more like ancestors. I mean, this, this is my personal view on it. I, I believe that we are all part of somewhat of the same consciousness. So I think that they were like, like you were saying, like ancestors or like predecessors to what we are now. But like how we would create AI, they would see us almost as like a god. But there's still something above us. I think that there's this concept of like the Anunnaki may have helped to create us. It might be that possible missing link. Um, but there's still something above them. So then it kind of jumps into, I believe that the meaning of life is experience. So is it just like this continuous cycle of there was a thing before them, that experience wasn't the experience they were here for. So then they made this other race and that's where the Anunnaki comes in that experience. They lived out the full experience in that. So then now they go into people and they're living that experience and then it might progress into something else. And that, that's been the kind of concept that I've been working into lately that I've been really curious about, but like, what's, what's your kind of view on that? I like that. And then another way of maybe reconciling how there seems to be like, you know, bad, the world's in a bad, bad way in so many aspects that what <laughs> you can look at it like the, this is my example, big companies, really big corporations, they have delicate, massive data infrastructure, right? And they're very concerned that a hacker could come in and crash their system or steal their data or what whatnot. And so these large scale corporations will actually put out a bounty on their own system and say, they will invite the hackers in where instead of, uh, you know, possibly the risk of a hacker coming in any way and wrecking stuff or, or stealing from them, they'll offer a reward. Hey, if you can show us how to hack our system, we'll just go ahead and pay you. That way you're not doing anything illegal. <laughs> I kind of look at the bad actors of the world and the, the bugs in the system of life as it is right now in society, kind of like that. Because once we, I think source or the creative aspect of, you know, universe and maybe even this octave that we call the gods, I think they do the same thing. I think that that's why some people incarnate as the bad people, the psychopaths and all that. 
the, they're like the debuggers. They they're like they think they're badass hackers, <laughs> and they there maybe even is some in a weird way reward for them for doing that because you know it is hard job probably to be a shithead psychopath. It probably doesn't feel good most of the time. Maybe I don't know. It's like playing on hard mode, kind of like you were saying. I've, it's yeah. almost like a concept. Like, uh, have you seen that episode of Rick and Morty where they go into the virtual reality simulator and he thinks he lives like a full life Roy. in that short period? Yeah, it's, I feel like Roy. it's almost kind of like that. They just keep thrown in for another ride, but not in a virtual reality sense, but in like a consciousness coming into a vessel kind of sense. Yeah. And I mean, then that entire idea to reconcile all the evidence people seem to ha- hold for simulation theory. Um, Ask your, you know, ask yourself, is it possible that it's a spiritual simulation and not doesn't have to be technological in the sense, but you know what technology means etymologically, it means art. So a technological situation simulation is artistic simulation, meaning, you know, you can look at it either way. You can look at it like, oh, I'm trapped in a simulation. I'm a slave to the demiurge, whatever. Or you can look at it like. I'm simulating this experience of life as I'm experiencing it right now as an artistic technology of self-expression uh, at this level of division because it allows for a higher level of complexity for playing on hard mode, like you said. And, you know, I've played this game a bunch of times on easier levels. I want it to be harder. I want it to take even more um, magic and synchronicity for me to break out of the sleep of the illusion of separation and remember who I am in this body. And every time you remember who you are, the harder it was to get there, the more powerful you seem to become as a light to the rest of the world. I think it is like a, you know, if I looked at it like a simulation, I would be saying like a game, not like a prison. Yeah. I I feel like we'd be in the tutorial aspect still. We're trying to figure out how to use our abilities. And we haven't made it past that. And that's why we keep living in this continuous cycle where it seems like we used to be at a point where we understood these concepts. And then we strayed away from nature as we moved to cities, stuff like that, started losing abilities for things such as, you know, being able to tell when it's going to rain. Every animal in the world can tell when it's going to rain before it rains, except for humans, because we pushed ourselves so far away from that. And it's like we got to keep continuously living this cycle because we can't get past the tutorial mode to actually get into the real game of what we're actually capable of. Yeah, remember that what I said about your cells, actually their cell membranes altering the shape of their receptors based on vibration and, and energy and sound? That is a mechanism for explaining intuition on the physical materialist level, including things like knowing when it's going to rain. So <laughs> we have all the powers and every every single fiber of our being has the ability to innately know what's up and what's happening around us. Our DNA is literally putting off light and seeing light. Our DNA has photo recept- photon receptors in it. And uh, like at a very low level, puts off light. So we're, we're luminous, luminous beings in a luminous, luminescent ether. <laughs> every, everything we do is seen by every part of ourself and every part of nature. Uh, you know, there's no real privacy in that sense but there is the concept of privacy legally which is important i don't know <laughs> i don't know where i'm going with that but the, the, i think life is awesome i think that you're right that it, it 
feels like the tutorial mode still, and maybe it will always feel that way because there's infinite things to know, but only so much time in a life. But as more of us actually per push and pursue towards knowing where we are and who we are, I look at the whole process like uh, neural pathways are almost like a mining tunnel. You know, mine and mind even sound alike. I've witnessed this in, in a few different elements of uh, skills and behaviors of people that. Okay, so the example I always use, I'll just use it again for lack of being able to think of another one off the top of my head. Although I'm sure they, there are plenty of examples like this. I go to a lot of music festivals. And when I first started going, I noticed there were a few girls that were like pretty good at hula hooping, right? They were pretty good. And they, they, they were kind of fewer and far between. And then as a few years progressed and it happened quick, all of a sudden, like every other girl had a hula hoop and the shit that they were able to do was far beyond what for a few years ago, the few hula hooping girls could do. And then it came to the point where like a friend of mine who was new to the scene would get a hula hoop. And within a few weeks, she was doing some of the hardest tricks that were not even doable or thought of by the original girls I saw hula hooping years back. So it's kind of like that idea that a <laughs> hundred years ago, running a four, I don't know if a four minute mile is possible, but running a four minute mile was impossible. And now there's like people running four minute miles. Um, these skills, these things we learn, in, including learning about who we are and our ability to express and articulate that and share it with each other. It's like, these neural pathways of skills and, and knowledge that carve out in our brain, literally in the physical matter, are like tunnels in a mine. And so whenever you decide to go down a particular rabbit hole, <laughs> one of these neural pathway tunnels, you kind of just get to walk, or maybe if you're really motivated, take a jog uh, through this tunnel until you hit the wall where everybody is at. And this is the current level and we're all going to start chipping away at this wall together. So, uh, you know, you can go deeper, further and faster in any subject, the further deeper that other people have already taken it. So I look at that as a really exciting because it means that everything we're doing right now matters immensely to the larger fractal of life, the universe and everything. These conversations matter immensely. Our ability to tap in to get into these flow states to express the deeper meanings of life or <laughs> recognize the meaning of life being the its own its own self-generating existence is its own meaning you know that that means that more people will be able to get to that wall of the the neural pathway tunnel that much quicker because of every chip that we take out of it with our our pickaxe of deep thinking I also feel like it's a generational thing where it's not something that's going to happen this generation like everybody hopes it will be. It'll be something that you pass on to further generations and they're going to further progress taking down this wall. Everybody expects it to be now, but it's not, not going to be something like that. It's going, to, it's going to take a long time to get to that point. And I feel like, like I was saying, we're there at Maybe. one point and we strayed away, but we got to keep on that, keep on that tried true path to keep working towards what we're doing here and hope that people don't, people don't lose track from the view of it. Um, going off on a little side note here, uh, I have some personal experiences I'd like to share with you, but, uh, as far as like auras go, do you believe in the concept of colored auras representing a personality 
And if that is the case, from my personal views, I feel like it's not, again, something that people are expecting to see like a, like a color around somebody to understand that. But I feel like it's more of like, like a feeling of a color, if that makes any kind of sense, that you get from like this in tune that you get from somebody else where it's another primal feeling that we lost along the way that we had the ability to have at one point. And there's still some people that have that ability to sense people's auras and kind of get like a, like an accurate representation of their personality from that aura. But uh, like, what, what's, what's your view as far as like the colored aura concept goes? I actually recently had my aura photographed by a radionics machine and the people who did it, like I put my hands on this, like um, these plates that were electric sensors and the machine. And then they took my picture and the software translated the electrical impulses and the frequency of my body's electricity into a picture of color around my body and of each chakra. And I was like, well, this is cool. Turned out my aura was almost all on one side. Like on the on all the chakras except a couple, I'd have to go pull out the picture. It was mostly this like deep crimson. And then there was some orangish and lighter red in some parts. And on one half of my field, it was this deep red. And the other half was like this gold kind of tinged with streaks of green. And I was like, neat. Red is a great color. <laughs> I'm cool with that. Uh, and then this old hippie lady looked at the photo and she just started telling me all the stuff that the colors in the different parts of the aura meant. And it was like getting an astrology reading. <laughs> she was telling me all these things about my personality and my life path that were 100% accurate and specific. So, you know, I, there's clearly something to it in that respect. Uh, I don't know if those colors change over your life or or if different ways of seeing auras would have different results in terms of what kind of colors you're seeing and when. I can't really attest to all that. All I know is that a badass radionics machine from the eighties was able to predict my personality <laughs> based on, based on my electricity. I liked that a lot. Now I look at this whole concept of like, whether or not we can see them uh, as having to do with our, what I, what I think is humanity's loss of synesthesia. So synesthesia is where you see things with more than one sensory apparatus at once. Like, you know, the color blue or the number five will be blue or, you know, the note G will taste like citrus. I don't know if those examples are correct because I don't have synesthesia. I think the reason would have a good example of that be like, this sounds kind of weird and weird way to interpret it. But like when I remember people, I always remember them with a color. And when I look into those colors, it seems to be something that always seems to fit their personality. Would it be something like that where it's not like something you visually see, but it's kind of something that you, it's more of like a sense almost. It could be related. That could have to do with synesthesia. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't say for sure, but I think that, I think so. <laughs> I think so. Like, I believe too that the reason why humanity only expresses synesthesia in rare cases nowadays, and oftentimes children have it and lose it as they age, I believe that that has to do with the social programming 
and the materialist philosophy and the constant separation programming that's put out. So, you know, we have philosophy out there that will tell you you can't even trust your senses. Like people will, you get into a conversation, philosophic philosophy conversation with some people and they'll be like, yeah, but how do I know that the green that you see is the same as the green that I see? Maybe we see it differently, but because it's always consistent, we both think we're talking about the same thing, you know, but there is no objective reality. There's a okay, Twilight well. Zone episode about that with the plane. I don't know if you've ever seen that one, but there's like what? four guys standing in the hangar in an old Twilight Zone episode. And they're like, oh, I see this color for the plane. The person's like, no, I don't see that. I see this. But I see that now because you were the one that mentioned it. And now that's what my perspective is of that because of somebody else mentioning it. Yeah, that sounds very Twilight Zone. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, but okay. So I think that uh, these philosophies that postulate that there is no objective reality and that your senses are that you don't see the world, but you see the image of the world projected into your head. Uh, I think that that is wrong because of synesthesia. I think synesthesia proves why that's wrong. And why I, what I mean by that is with, with synesthesia, you seem to be tapping into seeing more of the truth of nature and reality, that everything is connected and correlated. I think that probably humans had this more commonly or all the time. And that's why the ancients were able to create and preserve and pass down systems of occult correspondence that seem to have magical power to them when applied, right? Mm -hmm. That tones have colors, have a shape associated and there's a tree associated. And this septenary pattern is repeating over and over again throughout throughout nature replete. So I think that what we've done in our materialist philosophies and society that preaches and enforces division is that we've also split our five basic senses. I think there's probably more senses than that available to us into separate entities. Kind of like those people that <laughs> whenever they, you, you go to, Easter dinner, <laughs> I was thinking of my brother-in-law right now. They got five things on their plate and they eat them one at a time and they don't let them touch. <laughs> I like kind of like, like to mix up the food and uh, taste all the flavors at once. But so I think that because it's possible for some people to see the color of a number, that that means that the, that's actually there because different people who have synesthesia will have the same ability to do that. The pattern will be similar. Maybe not. Maybe for some people, blue fives are blue and for others, fives are orange. I don't, I can't say I know, but the fact that there is this blending of senses possible and that you can train it in yourself to some degree, I think that has to do with whether or not you can see auras as well. That really, um, you know, our faculties atrophy if they're not used. I think that's probably what happened. And because we've allowed certain faculties to atrophy, it leads to what feels like the material evidence for uh, a cold, dead, inert, you know, universe of lifelessness. <laughs> but that if we could retrain our ability to perceive subtle energy, we would recognize the life in everything. 
more evidently. I have some experience with seeing auras. Sometimes they appear to me. And then like I've done, there was a time in my life where I was doing a lot of practices to try to help myself see them. And I could pretty adeptly and readily see my own, but it didn't so much come out as color for me. It was like almost like this ghost image of uh, kind of like the, the wavy heat uh, atmosphere off of a highway <laughs> that I could kind of see that. That's and how I've heard a lot of people the, describe it. Yeah. And I, that kind of had to do with the, some Qigong practices I was heavily doing at the time. So I know that it's possible to retrain those abilities. And um, so what is important to me about this that I want to, I've been really rambling. I want to round about to this is, is that what we think we're doing with our senses <laughs> is we tend to think that your eyeballs are picking up this information and putting it into your brain and your brain's generating an image. But, and then, the world uh, is in your mind. The world that you see is not really the real world that you're, there's some division between the real world out there and your mental projection of it. But what I think is that the world has always been in your mind the whole time that <laughs> there's not like a, there's not a, this mechanism of, transfer of information from an out there to an in here it's always just been in here right that your body even your body is in your mind not uh the world and your body it's all within consciousness consciousness is the container i mean as far as for me what got me into spirituality and when this whole kind of thing started for me was uh, as a kid i don't know if you heard me on mark's podcast but uh, i used to do astral projections as a kid where i would leave my body and I'd see myself sleeping and I told him nothing like crazy happened or anything like that. But the weirdest thing I saw one time was uh best way to describe it is like the blackness of space with like a purple nebula or galaxy and you're just kind of in it and you're not really floating, but you're not really standing on anything either. You're just kind of existing within it. So going forward a little bit, this, like I said, when I started having those astral projection type dreams is when I started associating people with colors, not like visually seeing anybody in a way, it would just more be like, I would remember that person and I would associate them with a color. Um, so that's when I got the whole concept of like auras as a small child without even realizing exactly what I was doing. Um, but as it's progressed, I've started to believe in that more and more, uh, just because I recently had a dream, uh, kind of a sad story, but it, it gets ends with a happy ending. But uh, my current girlfriend that I'm with right now, uh, we were trying to have a second kid and, uh, she ended up having a miscarriage. Um, we went through a hard time and I had this weird dream where I went back to that same nebula type galaxy place. And I saw a kid that looked like me that pretty much said that vessel wasn't a good one. I'll see you on the next one. And that was the end of the dream. So I was weirded out by the fact that I had this same place that I saw twice. So here comes a couple months later, she ends up getting pregnant again ends up having a boy so that was another kind of a weird connection there so i'm waiting until he gets to about the age of the kid in the dream which i'd say was eh, like seven or so roughly uh and then i'm gonna assess it from there but uh i don't know i've always had this this big connection with spirituality as far as that goes and this is a topic that i don't normally get to talk to a lot of people about especially the aura thing the only thing i've ever any only person i've really ever told about that was my girlfriend up until now but uh 
going kind of back what you said, I feel like there's, there's a connection to all these things. And it's almost like something that you have to like work out like a muscle. Otherwise you lose the ability, almost like a dream that if you don't use it continuously, it just kind of fades away and you forget about it. Um, cause that even like, like gut feeling and stuff, it's almost like an extra sense that we have that we don't pay attention to, to know that we have where, you know, you meet somebody for the first time and you get a bad feeling from them. I feel like that's you reading somebody's aura without realizing that you're reading somebody's aura. And it's like a gut feeling that you kind of push off to the side because it's something that you kind of learn to ignore as you've gotten older through life, you know? Yeah. Your body always knows whether or not you have a mental framework for conceptualizing how or why, you know, your body knows right away. I'd like to do more research into stuff like, um, kinesiology and reflexology where there are technologies and techniques that are able to question the body about things and the body will have information that it's like how and it's verifiable like how would body get that right <laughs> i think it works mostly on a yes or no type of binary but very cool about your story with the dream and congrats on the successful second child i would definitely want to ask him about that maybe even earlier like do you remember you know having the chance to come down here and join us for life but deciding to hold up and wait <laughs> wait for the next round that's because he might he might remember when he can talk but that was honestly something i was going to ask him too as soon as he could talk because you know they say kids will remember some memories from past lives like that one girl who was knew the full vivid story of Anne Frank knew where she hid all that kind of stuff. And then the memory faded. I away. don't believe, I don't believe that one. I think that's propaganda, but it is true. It's way more prominent in the East, like in India, you know, kids will tell you where they lived and go meet their old family and shit. I think that, so it's really important and help healthy maybe, uh, to instead of, just ignoring that aspect whenever the kid's growing up and whenever they're first learning to talk, it, asking them questions about it, that might help them experience the recall. It might help them hold on to that connection to, and that comfort from not, you know, not being afraid of death because knowing it's not really the end of you. And might, they might not ever get that same level of being afraid of dying that a lot of Western people get due to having no conceptualization of their own infinity. Maybe that's I'll also love that you were having spontaneous uh, astral projection. That's only happened to me a few times where I came out of lifted out of my body and could like see my body and was floating around the ceiling fan. <laughs> I know what that's like a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say it was never it was kind of weird, too. It was never anything that I was able to control at any point in my life. It was kind of like I would go to sleep, wake up, and I would see myself sleeping there. And it continued on to when I was a teenager. And uh, going back to like what you were saying about certain energies and stuff too, um, I went through like a bad patch as a teenager. And when I started going through that, I would still leave my body, but I always had this like weird sense of something like dark, like watching around me and I'd see like moving shadows and stuff. So then that also kind of linked into like the spiritual world. And I've always wondered too, if it's almost like my subconscious within itself, or if it's actually something that's, outside of my subconscious and I'm just like projecting it into like my actual world in a sense. I always just go with the axiom that all is self. So even when it feels like it's this external demon that it has to do with some unhealed fission fracture 
between yourself and a particular aspect of archetype within your psyche. That's how I look at it. So you're going through a hard time, you know, you're not feeling yourself that good. Then some part of yourself that is crying out for help or attention can come to you in the form of the external world or even the spiritual world as a demonic reflection, because really what it's trying to get you to do is pay attention to something and notice it. Uh, I, I believe that all archetypes, whether they manifest in a light or shadow are serve in service to our Imperial higher self. Um, have you ever personally had sleep paralysis after you astral projected? Cause I always had a weird experience where almost every time I did it, I would come back and I would get sleep paralysis. And that was another reason that I started believing in a consciousness inside of a vessel. Cause it's almost like downloading back into your vessel, like starting up a computer has a slow startup and it has to kick back in before you're, it's good to go and running fast again, you know? Yeah, actually, that was how I experienced sleep or um, astral projection where I could, you know, see consciously fly around outside of my body was uh, the first few times I actually got the sleep paralysis part first and would fight it and like, oh, no, oh, I got to move. I got to wake up. And then the, after that, there was a point where I realized like, OK, what happens if I just go with it? I have this feeling of being paralyzed, but also it feels like there's some, a power plug plugged into the back of my neck and I can feel this electricity going up and down my spine. What if instead of trying to fight to regain the ability to move and control my body, I just slip into this feeling of electricity and this hum and buzz. It always have this like mm, to it when it was happening. And that's when I popped out of my body is when I started going with the flow. See, I've never actually thought about it from that perspective. I've always had the concept of like trying to wiggle and try to get somebody to shake you next to them. But uh, yeah, I've never actually tried to, to try to just sit in it. But I've always heard too that like kind of like you were saying that right after you have sleep paralysis too, uh, you have a lot more control over your dreams. But I've also noticed that when I do try to do that, um, almost every time I've ever become aware of myself within an actual dream and not like an astral projection is when it seems like the dream like spirals out of control, like where I'll try to control an aspect of it and it'll kind of just be like, fuck you and go off and do its own thing. Like there was one particular dream that I remember walking into a bathroom and I looked around and said, Hey, like, this is my bathroom. I'm like, I'm in a dream right now. And then the next thing I knew the walls fell down and there was like endless space. And I just started flying through that to somewhere and I never made it to where I was supposed to go. Because <laughs> I have this huge fear of like the whole concept of flying through space. Like it was just like the most horrifying dream experience I've ever had in my life. But uh, like what, what's, what's your interpretation of something like that? Like if people try to control their dreams and it kind of just throws itself into another spiral. I don't know. You know, I've always wondered about dreaming in particular. That's why <sighs> I kind of wondered if it was another source in a sense that like is creating these dreams, be it your subconscious, but something else that it's like, you may be thinking that you're in control, but realistically there's another factor that's there. That's actually in control. And the only time that you can be in control is when that other factor allows you to be in control. Right. I wonder about that. I've actually had that exact same thought that what if lucid dreams was just whatever, whatever part of yourself is giving you dreams it gives you a dream that makes you think that you're in control of the dream. 
So it's almost you know like a reality saying? check all, all within the same, like, all right, so you're kind of figuring it out, but you need to keep following down this path. Like it's almost motivating you to try harder to figure it out. Like there is something that's meant to be figured out there, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I really, I mean, I can't answer that, but I do think that whatever, you know, the, the thing that's giving you dreams is the subconscious or the unconscious, but that's still you. It's actually a bigger part of you than your conscious mind. Because you can only hold so much information in your conscious mind in a particular moment at once. There's a limit to that, but way so my, more exists below the surface of that, you know, tiny tip of the iceberg of your conscious mind versus the huge structure underneath. Usually whenever I get lucid in a dream where I realize, oh, it's a dream. <laughs> I'll just like, whatever, whatever I'm doing, I'll just stop what I'm doing. Hey everybody, see you later. And I'll just fly away. <laughs> First thing I always do is fly. But honestly, something happened recently, not recently, but in the last couple of years where I don't really get, I don't really have lucid dreams where in the moment I realize I'm dreaming, but in the dreams, I have all these powers that for whatever reason, I don't question. You know, I'm, I'll have Spider-Man powers or I can just fly. And that just seems normal, even though no one else can. See, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I've had, I've noticed for myself that I seem to lucid dream when I leave, like say where I'm falling asleep. If I have a nightlight on that's in the same direction that I'm looking, I seem to always end up lucid dreaming when there's like a light within my eye zone, even if it's closed. It's almost like, uh, like leaving, leaving a light on, you know? In, in the back of your in the back of your mind, which makes it so that you are aware that you are still connected to that reality. Have you, That's have you interesting. You know, it like kind of reminds me of how like if you fall asleep somewhere and there's sounds happening, you'll in your dream the same sounds will happen, but there'll be like a dream reason why that's happening. Or like you know, you need you you go to sleep and like in the middle of the night you need to pee. And you have a dream about going to the bathroom and right when you're about to like let loose in the dream toilet, you're like, you wake up and you're like, oh shit, I'm almost pee about to pee my pants. <laughs> kind of funny how everybody has that same experience too. And it's not something that people typically talk about within a dream, but like you already subconsciously are programmed to alert yourself of things like that, even within that dream state. Yeah. And uh, yeah. like my other question too, going into like a bigger consciousness is... I don't know what you think about this, but I've almost wondered if we're all theoretically parts of a bigger consciousness, what if the thing that controls the dreams is the bigger consciousness and it's almost like a way for it to project things that you need to think about into your head on a subconscious level. And that's where like the, all right, fuck you, I'm taking control of the dream and the allowing of somebody to take control of the dream comes into play. Yeah, and then if we're a part of that bigger consciousness, then it's us doing it. So it kind of collapses the paradox when you look at it that way. That's true. I was thinking too, it's, it's almost like, I don't know, like, like a download of information in a sense. Like it's, uh, it's you system updates. <laughs> yeah. Like, like your higher self projecting something that you need to know back into yourself so that it's like, you can live through this experience, but it's not like directly interfering with the experience. Almost like, you know, the concept of like, in a lot of like religions, they say that like angels or whatever, they can't directly interfere, but they can kind of like whisper in your ear to make you do these things on your own kind of a concept. Yeah. And I also think that, um, 
our attention practices or awareness practices, meditation habit has a lot to do with the quality and experience of our dreams. Also, I think that we can choose what dreams we want to have. I don't, I won't say it always works, but I'm not always the best at practicing it. But many times I've, when falling asleep, intended for a certain dream to occur and I'll get elements of my intention will come forth in the dream. So I wonder if like, we're just doing it wrong with the whole idea of, I'm just going to shut down like C-3PO now and whatever happens, happens. <laughs> what if instead we have all the ability in the world to use that particular expanse of time and infinity that is the astral, you know, one night could feel like you were there for three weeks. What if that is part of how we conquer time and death in a sense that, you know, okay, we were limited on this side of the coin to a degree by the, by the consistent mechanistic flow of how we perceive time here. But what if we had all the powers in the world on the other side of our consciousness to have as much time as we want doing anything that we want? I've even heard of people like practicing their free throws in their dreams on purpose using lucid dreaming and actually getting better at it in the real world. So, you know, I wonder like, what's our excuse? Yeah, I think it's <laughs> for, one of those. For limiting ourselves in that side where we have every ability to do it all and as much time as we could ever need to do it. I think it's one of those things where it's like, uh, kind of like we were talking about where it's like separating yourself from how we're intended to be, where there may have been a plan to that, where, you know, going into like, not necessarily like a dark agenda concept, but like, you know, taking power away from you within yourself, that we have this ability to be in this, this world and we have an ability to be in another world, but because of just the way society is pushed into being nowadays, they don't want you to know that you have that power on your other reality. They want you to see that as just like, a, oh, that's a waste of time that I have to sleep because they want you to be in this materialistic world so that they can, you know, pretty much just make you another, another gear in the system, you know, because if you know you have the ability to live this other life within your life, I feel like there would be a lot less of a motivation to be part of like the everyday workforce or the everyday constructs of society if we were aware of these abilities you know yeah man i think that's definitely part of it we need to or there's been uh an agenda over time to definitely downplay the importance of of dreams in terms of like oh get your head out of the clouds you need to show up for work at 6 a.m make all those widgets for us because it seems like kids have a lot of these abilities and then we inherit it. We unintentionally kind of push them away from them by like telling them to grow up and all that kind of stuff. So it almost makes me wonder if going back to that, like you said, chiseling at the wall and continuing in generations, maybe it isn't something that's supposed to be started like this far in life. Maybe it's something that as we learn and progress, that it's something we're supposed to start with our kids and we're supposed to work with them at a young age so that they can progress farther. And if we create generations of people that have that concept of thinking, like who knows where we might be in three or four generations by now or three or four generations later. With I couldn't every, agree more. Everybody having those abilities and learning how to use them properly. And maybe that's the great awakening. Maybe this is the time for that. It seems like a lot of people are more so into spiritual things. Maybe a couple generations we will be at that point. 
or maybe we have to start preaching that word. <laughs> <laughs> I am glad that, that someone like you has got a couple kids to point in the right direction and then they'll do a better job with their children. Hopefully it's usually how it goes. You talked about how you had the experience of your, your next child coming to you and telling you why they didn't show up in the, the previous vessel. I once had an experience really intense. It was in a meditation, but I had this like astral meeting in a meditation with a child that was like, Hey, what you just decided to do in your life. And it was some decision I'd re made recently, the child, the, the astral child was like, yeah. So, uh, if you keep going this way, I'm not going to be able to be your kid this life. Just letting you know. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, it was really intense. It like actually was super emotional. And I felt like at the time I didn't have any other choices to make. So I was confused about what I could have done differently, but you can always do things differently. Uh, and I wouldn't say that means I'll never have children, but who knows, you know, hopefully the, what I do now helps people who do have children to, and in that sense, I kind of have a positive influence on the direction that future generations are going. I can tell you this right now, half the reason that I started my podcast was almost so that I could make a chronicle for my kids to be open to all of these alternative concepts. So just you being on here right now doing this, you're already going to be speaking to two, two kids that could further this on. So, you know, even if you don't directly have kids, it's almost like the kids in the sense of a community that you're doing good just by literally being here right now. <laughs> And having this conversation because awesome. I'm my glad kids. you started your show because uh, I'm really enjoying talking to you, man. Yeah, and it's been a great time, dude. Thanks for uh, coming on the show with me today, Chance. Um, would you like to drop all of your info so that people can find you? Yeah, buddy. It's uh, innerversepodcast.com. All my stuff is available through there. Uh, I've got a YouTube, but better than that is my Rockfin. I'm also on Odyssey. People can get in touch with me for the the sound healing or Oracle card, spiritual counseling at my email address, chance at interversepodcast.com. There's also our telegram channel on uh, available to everybody who wants to join that community. It's a really, really good community, just full of geniuses and stimulating in information and conversations all day, every day. Is there uh, any new projects in particular that you want anybody to be looking out for? And of course, every, all of his links will be down at the bottom for anybody that didn't catch those links. Yeah, uh, I recently completed uh, the narration of an audiobook called Spirit World, July's End. And it's a fascinating exploration of the etymology and mythology around the cult of heliocentrism. And it's by the author Dylan Sicocio. Amazing, amazing book. So if anybody wants to support me and also gain a lot of knowledge, they can check out that audiobook. It's called Spirit World, but world is spelled W-H-I- R-L-E-D, like world. I'll and also include that link at the bottom too for anybody that needs it. Nice, yeah. And there's a link to that on my website as well and at the show notes and the descriptions for every episode I put out. Would you like to uh, leave with any words of wisdom? <laughs> uh, you're doing a great job out there. <laughs> I'm so happy that you're even tuning in to uh, this type of information. I think that proves the direction your flow state is taking you and Trust yourself, love yourself, and keep going. And remember that your life actually can be designed in such a way and set boundaries for it in such a way that 
it feels like fun all the time. You deserve it. You're able to get there and you will get there if you decide that that's your goal. Perfect closing notes. Thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of Inquiries of Our Reality. Like always, I'm your host, Shane. See you on the next one, my friends. If anyone is interested in being a guest on the show, sponsoring the show, has a topic question for the show, or has anything they feel they can contribute to the show, please send me an email at inquiriesofourrealitypodcast at outlook.com. If you'd like to donate to the show so I can eventually do this as a full-time thing, please check me out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash inquiriesofourrealitypodcast. And of course, follow me on social media for updates on the show. For Instagram, it's going to be www.instagram.com slash inquiriesofourreality. And for Facebook, it's going to be www.facebook.com slash inquiriesofourrealitypodcast. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.